Jen, and welcome to the House of Apis podcast. I am Katie, and I'm coming to you from Seattle, Washington. And I'm Mila, coming to you from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And today we want to discuss why, in 2021, are we still talking about the lack of women, especially women of color, in senior leadership roles in businesses and organizations? Especially when we see more and more research showing that the stylistic behaviors and values that women leaders bring to the table tend to be those that are highly valued and effective. And there are so many aspects of women in leadership that we could cover, but today we're just going to scratch the surface, right? Like we could have 20 million, we could have a whole series of podcasts, but we're going to create the setting for further discussion using our combined experience, because again, I like to quote, we are a century of experience (laughs) Um, and having been leaders and in senior leadership roles around the globe, actually, between Mila and I, we've covered the U.S., Latin America, Europe, Asia, Africa. So Mila. We're both very passionate about this topic, but you've been a champion about this being one of our early topics since we got started. So perhaps maybe you get the party started by sharing some of your experiences that you've had that shape your passion around this topic. Yeah, I'm happy to do so, Katie. I recently started a new job in a senior management position. I'm part of the leadership team and I'm actually the only woman uh, on the senior team. And when I was uh, going to start, I actually talked to several former colleagues of mine and some of my friends telling them about my new role. They were happy, but they made some observations. They say, oh, well, it's the same as when you were here. This is a colleague from another company where I was a sales director and there were not other female sales directors. There were a couple of female managers here and there on the sales uh, department. But in that position, what happened was I used to attend budget and sales meetings. And I was most of the time, the only woman that actually attended the dinners because we would go, we would have these big meetings and then there was a social time in the evening. Basically all women went home either because they didn't want to go be in an odd room. And I would go and be with 24 men sitting in a restaurant. And most of the time I decided actually that I was going to sit next to the CEO or somebody else that would have a high position so I could give women a voice. And so while that it have, was, well, so let me ask you, so while that's a dinner, right? Yeah, like it's a yeah. social time, is our work decisions being made while this dinner is happening? Or the decisions, there might be some decisions but certainly information is being discussed. And there is a lot of knowledge that you get there. Plus you build relationships when you are in these social events. And then sometimes it's, or most of the times are dinners. And then, uh, yeah, women tend to go back home to be with the kids, uh, the ones that are mothers or the ones that they don't feel comfortable because they know that there will be one or two women only in this whole uh, situation. But I made a point to sit next to people of leadership positions. One time I had in this meeting, actually, there was the meeting for my area and we were going to present and the meeting room was already being used by everybody, uh, let's say the common functions and each one of the business units needed to come in and present. And there were several chairs around the table and there were no extra empty chairs. And I just was asking people, okay, could you please move so then I can bring my chair? There was no chair for me. And I was the only woman in the room. So, I mean, granted, it was not that everybody was sitting at the time. It wasn't a break. 
So, but if there was a colleague that was sitting there and I was saying, okay, could you please move so I can put this share in? And he was like, yeah, well, relax. And I'm like, relax? No, I'm going to present. So I want you to move. And I literally had to move things around and just push the guy out in order for me to have a seat at the table. To that is something space. that we discuss. Yeah, yeah to create, to create a space. Yeah. So, yeah, one of my former colleagues said, I'm so glad that you're doing this. It's not, I'm not interested in growing to that level, but it's so good to see a woman in a senior position. And I recognize the value of you being there and representing women in our organization. This is why for me it was important to talk about this topic is that, you know, why is that women are having a hard time getting to top leadership positions? Is that they are not interested? Is that motherhood becomes a priority? Is it that is, there is a system that promotes men over women? Or is it simply that the environment is not making it easier? So those are questions that we are going to touch upon uh, yeah. today. Well, and you bring up the motherhood piece. We talked in one of the earlier podcasts about time poverty, right? Whether or not it's about motherhood becomes a bigger priority, motherhood is a priority, and societal structures have left still women the primary role of doing the the housekeeping and the caretaking. And so that whole concept of time poverty. I, you know, I mean, I've worked in HR for most of my career and I always find this interesting because HR is a field that is predominantly, it it has a higher percentage of women in the field. Mm -hmm. And yet still in my experience, a lot of the senior roles, even for HR are filled by men. Like this is a space that we should, the odds should be ever in our favor. And I'm not saying that men shouldn't be leaders in HR. That's not what I'm saying at all. But you would think this is the, the place where that, that should be prevalent. Now, that being said, right? Like I've also had some very great role models that are women in in the senior most roles from an HR perspective. But the other piece that I always say, like when I'm your only woman in the room, you took the easy one, right? Like it's easy to have the HR person be your woman. There should be other people that look like me from a gender Mm -hmm. perspective in this room from that conversation. And, you know, just one, because of the function that I'm in, but also because I'm passionate about it of pushing, right? Like if you're, if you're looking at a slate of candidates for a senior role, right? Like if you haven't, if you haven't gotten yourself a very diverse mix and a diverse slate of individuals, not only from a gender, but from other diversity aspects, then you're never going to get there. (laughs) So like, stop saying you're going to do it. Yeah. (laughs) And do it. And do it. Right. So you know, so, and it was always right. So that's just kind of my perspective from an HR aspect. And the fact that even within a female dominated field, you still have to fight for the senior most roles. So, so, you know, Neil and I are going to continue to use our personal experience. Again, you know, we've spent a significant amount of our lives navigating the work environment and the corporate structure and, and having some success in our lives. Not that it was not hard fought for, right? But but we're exceptions, not the norm. And so we want to be able to share some of that. But you know us, 
we always like to give you a little research to chew on relative to the topics that we're talking about. And the first study that we would like to mention is a report that was put together by five top female executives from IBM and an organization they have within called the IBM Institute for Business Value. And in 2019, IBM launched its first women in leadership study. So this was not just about IBM. This is a broader study. And they surveyed more than 2,600 executives, middle managers, professionals that were both men and women across 10 industries and across nine geographic regions, such as Brazil and Germany and China, India, the Nordics, the UK, the US, Japan, Kenya. So they surveyed this first study to really understand what was happening with the gender gap. And they wanted to check specifically if the attention and resources that have supposedly been devoted to aiding women's professional advancement had actually made a demonstrable difference in closing that gap. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. wah, wah. Their findings are pretty appalling. So the report says, and this is directly from the report, despite increased awareness of gender imbalances, the lagging number of women in senior leadership roles has barely moved. For <laughs> years, studies have called attention to the systemic barriers to career advancement facing women, and still the percentage of women in top leadership roles has not budged. There are fewer women in the pipeline today than in 2019 a situation that was made worse by the pandemic. And Mila's going to talk a bit more about this in a little while. And, and we talked about this in, the, in one of our previous podcasts. So additionally, what they found was that the sobering reality is that the executive boardrooms and C-suites around the world look essentially the same they did two years ago before all this focus happened. And their data indicates they comprise the small or the same small percentage of women, 8% for executive boards and 10% for C-suites despite a heavy push for diversity, along with national mandates in a growing list of countries that includes Norway, Spain, France, Iceland, and Germany. So even, even a mandate by your country did, didn't make a change. <laughs> yeah, they have a mandate here as well in the Netherlands. I'm going yeah. to pull some research. I'm going to try to find some research for the Netherlands only, but that they also have it. But there is another point in this IBM study that we cannot leave aside and has to do with the effect on black women and other women of color. So despite the race of awareness on the need for diversity and inclusion for the past years, and also propelled by the Black Lives Matters movement and the consequences of the pandemic, data from that diversity study by the IBM Institute for Business Value found, quote, that race and ethnicity account for much more discrimination experienced by women than gender alone. So 34% of all women say they have personally experienced race-based bias, while 28% say that they have experienced gender-based bias. There is a, a lot of uh, research around this topic, and there is a lot to talk about and to unpack this topic and add intersectionality to the table. This deserves its own podcast, so we just wanted to mention it. So let's go back to the main topic. Katie, what are your thoughts about this article then? How come we are two years down and there is not really progress? Okay. And how, how and, and you know, people are going to ask, how did the two of us make our way into senior leadership roles despite the reality that we see around us? Yeah, what makes us so special? The, I'm actually going to come at this from my experience my experience and what I do from being from an HR professional perspective. And now today that I do consulting on talent strategies, 
there's so much check the box to this, right? Like I'm gonna, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna have a women's leadership program check. And that's what they do. Or we're going to raise the percentage of women that we hire for leadership roles. Check. But, but nobody looks at it as a systemic problem. And so they, right, like you, you hire all these amazing people and you put them into a system that actually isn't set up to actually accept them in, in the roles that they were put into. So to your experience, somebody probably patted themselves on their back and said, yay, we hired a woman into a mm -hmm. C-suite role. We hired a Latina woman into this C-suite role. Awesome. And then you came into a room and had to like badger a man to let you have a seat at the table when you were about to present. That's what I keep seeing happen over and over again, whether that's about trying to make um, an impact from a gender perspective or gender and race or ableism, right? Like whatever it is, everybody's trying to get the statistics right, but they're not actually trying to get the culture and the environment right. And actually mm -hmm. to what we talked about in the last episode with imposter syndrome, that's that whole environmental exclusion. You went and found these awesome people, but you put them into an environment that tells them they're, they're an other, right? That is when they found it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. when they find the people, because if they go always to the same network, then the, the network looks exactly like them. Oh, most of sure. it, the, most of the time. So then if you are going to uh, uh, scoop the people out of the same pool, then you have the same pool is is basically just the same color, the same education, the same background, Socio everything is the same. Background. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're hitting on a point that really would get me fired up, which is I only recruit from Ivy League schools. Well, then guess what? Mm. Your recruitment is only as good as the diversity that that I Ivy League school is trying to have in their organization, right? Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, there's some other really fine universities and schools and trade schools and other forms that, that have very fabulously qualified individuals that come out of them. But, but I don't know. I mean, you asked the other question, how did, you know, how did, despite that, how did I make my way into a senior leadership role? I honestly think I was at the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. I know we talk about this, about accepting recognition. I mean, I think I, I know my stuff when it comes to my Field. And I'm actually also, because of my curiosity, I'm open to try and learn new things. So that always helps me because I've got tricks, new tricks up my sleeves that maybe other people haven't had at the moment. Podcast editing. Yeah, uh, that is still being refined, folks. Sorry for take the, the, take the recognition. Take the recognition. I, I have learned a new skill. I'm now refining it. But despite my skills and ability, I do believe two things help me. And one is I have been fortunate to have had some very fabulous career champions, predominantly women who were the voice in the room for me for opportunities. It's one thing. And frankly, actually the position that helped me get to where I was in the, the executive leadership team for when I worked in Southeast Asia was wholly because one of my champions was in the room when they were looking for somebody to do this role and knew to throw my name uh, into that pot. 
So that, and then the other piece is, I think I've just been in the right room with the right people at the right time and have had the right conversation that has made them go, huh, wait a minute. Like she's interesting. She has something to say. She, and, and that's just, I mean, that's serendipity. We talked about serendipity in our yeah. first, but I think our first podcast, right? So that's honestly, I, it certainly was not because there was a fabulous pipeline of women leaders being cultivated and I was purposely being developed. It was self-will, career champions, and being in the right room at the right time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's good. That reminds me of something that a mentor used to say to, to me and to, to my, my now friends that it, at that time were colleagues. He used to say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Oh, and yes. <laughs> he would always say that. So every time that I would say, well, it, I was lucky. No, you were prepared and you, the, you had the opportunity. So I like um, that. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It needs to be one of our, our, our social media posts. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, yeah, I will definitely do that. I actually found it uh, recently, but I don't remember who said it uh, first, but he would say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And in that sense, I think I had been uh, lucky because in, in the way that my career, let's say, moved a little bit, it had been, you know, a matter of being at the right time. Also, of course, being noticed because you are working your ass off, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that you are just cruising. No, you are working a lot. And then people are seeing what you produce and they are recognizing that what you're doing is valuable. And then that's how I think I had been in this position. And also, I think the curiosity that you mentioned before is also something that I had. And I always was, I was in an organization for like 13, 14 years. And I moved within the organization just because I wanted to be a little bit more involved here and more involved there. So in every part of the business that I was in, and then obviously in different uh, areas, but I wanted to learn a little bit more. So I was in marketing, but I wanted to learn the sales area and why we were doing things like that and how do we do things differently in operations. So I, I just had an opinion on everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that made me a little bit rounder in the sense that more complete as a manager. And then I had the opportunities come to me because, you know, I was prepared. So I was, uh, I was lucky <laughs> in yeah. that sense. And lucky uh, that's not, but you know, there's two things though, that you said that I think are, are intriguing. So one, you had something to say, like you, right. Like about those things. I still think that is a nuance between men and women. The politeness that we tend to have to give people their space and we wait to say something until that moment's right. And then sometimes that moment's gone, right? Or we're talked over. I just happened to grow up in a family that if, if I didn't if I didn't chime up, I wasn't gonna get a point out there. So so but I do think there is something about like we have opinions, we have points of view, and we need to in a comfortable, confident way get it out there. Cause that's when we get heard mm-hmm. or we have more opportunity to be heard. And then I think the other thing you said about interest in different areas across the company, my dad gave me advice early on in my career, which is take the projects nobody else wants. And so the first time that happened and I could hear him in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I so don't want to do this work, but I can hear <laughs> my dad saying, take the projects nobody else wants. And so I took this project and it was something that needed to be done it was, it had some high visibility and it just needed somebody to dog it, which I would do yeah. like it's not the stuff I would sign up for, but I did, I took 
I took a few of those until my brand had been built within the company. Yeah. Um, so it actually was really good advice. It did make for some really like bleh projects. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you just, what you shared kind of sparked those two things in my head. Yeah, that, no, that's, uh, that's okay. I think that that's, that's very valid. And it, it just shows that you are not uh, you are not afraid of taking on new challenges, that you are very happy to do things that are going to be collaborating to the goals of the company or uh, whatever it is that in that moment of those projects are related to. So I think that's that's very good. But we were, we talk a little bit about champions and mentors. So that is going to bring us to our compelling question of the day. So for those of you that have been listening to us in the past, in each episode, we have a compelling question and that we ask that is related to our topic of discussion most of the time, but sometimes might not. But it's a question that makes us think and reflect. And we would like to also throw it out to you so then you answer those compelling questions on social media. So today's compelling question is, did you have a career champion? We already know that you did yeah. because you mentioned yeah. it, but I would like to hear a little bit more. So where, so who was that person or those persons, maybe there were several and how did they help you? I think it was, it definitely was multiple people. And I think if I think about early on, I actually mentioned this in one of the earlier podcasts. So early in my career, I had a leader who was just really good at giving me some sage advice, actually two at the, at the same time point, my direct leader and then her leader. And, and they both were champions for me in trying to achieve career objectives. But they were also really good at giving me the feedback that I needed to hear in order to actually grow into those things I wanted to do. And so I think I had mentioned on an earlier podcast, I trust my gut, but I just never sometimes had the language in order to be able to articulate what was happening in my head in order to bring people along. And so I had a leader who was really good at helping me, one, with becoming a bit more articulate in that manner, but also just kind of refining my professionalism because I, I can have a very assertive style and how do I adapt and adjust my style to be able to be inclusive of different styles and bring more people into the conversation. At the same time, also had someone who I considered a champion. And I always remember this. She gave me a lot of advice, but there's one specific piece of advice that I always remembered because it did change how I framed things up in meetings. And I also think it changed how people heard me is there were a lot of things that I was trying to push through some pretty significant bodies of work. And when I would get stuck, I would evoke her name. Well, we're doing this for, you know, because so-and-so said that we had to do it, or we had, I, I would never use me as the reason to get it done. And so at one point in time, she said, Katie, every time you use my name, you take a little power away from yours. And it struck me because I was like, all right, so now, now I got to figure out how to influence through my own credibility, not mm -hmm. leveraging somebody else's. And so I made changes. I tried to use her name significantly less. And then, and then it was interesting because I did start seeing how people would respond to me differently and how people thought of me. So I think about the two of them from a career champion perspective. The third that I'll share for this question, and then I'll bounce it over to you is I had, it was, again, it was the leader of, uh, of the person I was reporting to at the time. Her name's Tracy. 
And like her and I are both just like kindred spirits when it comes to thinking about the possibilities. Every problem has possibilities. So instead of like talking about how the problem is a barrier, think about the possibilities that come out of trying to address that problem. So her and I connected in that way. And then we would have conversation and she knew that I had a passion for working internationally. She knew that I was trying to move up in the organization and she, she just, she would bring me up in meetings. She was regularly a champion for opportunities. And there were several that came my way through her, but ultimately the opportunity that took me over to work in, in Asia and was my promotion into an executive role came from her saying, you need to look at this role. They're looking for somebody. And, and so I just appreciated her as a kindred spirit. She was somebody that to me, from a champion perspective, helped me be more confident about my ideas. She was kind of cool to get in there and try and solve something with. And I just, she was, she was in the room where it happened and would represent me in those spaces where I wasn't there to be able to be a voice for myself. So those are three examples that I would share. How about you? Great examples. Yeah, my my examples come from the same uh, time, I would say. I was very junior coming into this company and I had my manager was uh, a woman and I learned tons from her, tons from her. Shout out to, to her, Alida, because I know that she listens to the, to the podcast. And uh, she was always pushing me and teaching me to be better. And we actually got in a very good relationship working together. And there was a moment that I decided, okay, I'm going to go do my MBA. Uh, if those of you that heard podcast one, you are going to remember the story about how <laughs> I applied to the MBA. And, and then she was super supportive about it. She was happy that I would do that, even though she was losing me in her team. And then afterwards, years, years later, I ended up working in the same office again with her, but then reporting to somebody completely different. And, and she was always a support for me. And there was a moment that it was very, very difficult even because we were both um, up for the same role. And when I knew that the role was open, I was thinking, okay, that the role should be for her because she was more senior to me. But then they offered it to me and it was a really difficult decision. I said, okay, I need to talk to her and tell her. But she was really happy about it. She was like, no, you deserve it. And it also showed me the this idea that people have that women are competing and cutting truth and everything because, you know, there are fewer roles or whatever. That was not the case. And, and she was very happy for me uh, always. And we became very good friends, traveled together, and we're still in touch. And then the other person that was around the same company actually was her manager that they used to say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity and we are still in touch and this is a man mario and he is still somebody that i consider him my mentor he is a person that i have gone to when i have changed roles i have listed him my reference he brought me to work in argentina when i was at this company from venezuela because he needed somebody uh, in his team and he said okay this person I know and I know is very good so then he brought me oh he always had been somebody championing me as well 
and I'm very positive of what I can do. Funny enough, I just suggested him for a, a board of directors position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's see whether that happens or not. And then the third person is also a man within the same company. He was very much in favor of me progressing. He knew that I wanted to do something different. And he was throwing my my name into, you know, the pool of candidates. Very supportive. I also learned a lot from him. It was, it was actually my first time that I had a, a manager that was, or a leader that was an American. And he was very much self-focused and he knew that he didn't understand the region. So he allowed you to be yourself and to learn from you. He was a teacher, but he was also a student, let's say, of the region. So that was also very good. There was a moment even when there were some decisions made in the company that they froze some of the benefits that directors and below had, and they left it only for VPs. And he said, no, if my directors are not having those benefits, I don't have them either. So he was a, a leader that was very much a role model and somebody that I that I kept in touch as well for a long time because he was very, very much managing with compassion and managing, getting to the goals and making sure that, that we grew as a team. So yeah, those I think were my three and they were from the same company actually. And I yeah. think, uh, yeah. I might say something about that company's culture, but the- yeah. uh, at that well, moment, yes. <laughs> yeah, at that moment. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. always change. Well, so, yeah. you know, we'll talk a little bit later about the things that we all could be doing to try and, and shift this situation that seems to be perpetually talked about. But as the statistics showed, doesn't seem to be moving fast enough or in a speed that many of us would like to have. And so you'll see this compelling question out there, like Mila said, on our social media. We'd love to hear um, your stories about your career champions. And I think it just goes to show it, it doesn't just have to be women champion women, the men that champion women are, you know, have an ability to, to help be that voice for them, help people learn how to navigate the system. And right. Then at some point you have more women in the system who can be the champion for women. So yes, kind of a system from that perspective. So, so that's the compelling question. Yeah, so let's continue with our conversation. And then I'm going to quote Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't know if our listeners from outside of the United States all know her. She was an American lawyer and jurist, and she served as an associate justice of the Supreme Court uh, of the United States. And she's uh, known as a notorious RBG. And she, (laughs) she was a force to be reckoned with. So she said, women belong in all places where decisions are being made. It shouldn't be that women are the exception. Unfortunately, they, or we, are sometimes the exception, or most of the times are the exception. So what is getting lost because of that? We can look at it from uh, two, two points of views, let's say. One from a business point of view and one from an individual point of view. So from an individual point of view, Why is that we always have to fight our way in? Is it that we are not allowed in? Is it that we are not welcome in? And we have to morph into someone we are not uh, just to fit in. So this last point, I want to actually uh, uh, talk about uh, the short movie, Pearl, from Pixar. Katie, do you know Pearl? Do you like Pearl? Of course I know Pearl. I used to work for the company that made Pearl. I love Pearl. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I love Pearl. So I don't know for you listeners if you have watched Pearl, but in short, this short is where we meet Pearl, which is a very capable and enthusiastic ball of pink yarn that gets hired at the Bro Corporation, Bro Corporation, B-R-O Corporation, which is, surprise, surprise, a company run by plenty of bros that are white men, actually. And after trying to get along with them as herself, Pearl decides that she has to morph into one of the guys. And instead of being a beautiful pink a ball of yarn, she uh, becomes one of the guys with a suit and everything, but not a pantsuit like Hillary or Angela, but just a suit. And that way she feels that she's welcome and she can fit in. Only to discover, surprises as well, that she's not happy masking her identity. So after that, she becomes a change in the organization. So not only for herself and for the new people, but also for the people that were there. So what is interesting about this short is that it was inspired by the director, Kirsten Lester's long journey of getting to Pixar. She says in an interview, and quote, in school, my class was pretty gender balanced. Then when I graduated and got my first jobs, I was often the only woman on the team I was working with. And it was very isolating. And I found it really hard to fit in. I just wanted to be one of the guys. So basically that's how Pearl came to be. So she could have friends and colleagues. And also so I could get the thing that I love, could, so I could do the thing that I love because I just wanted to work in animation so badly. So she didn't realize that that was happening, but as, I was, as she was working through it in different jobs, she put her feminine part away. She says, I felt like I hid it, I buried it, I wouldn't talk about certain films that I like, I wouldn't make certain reference. And I didn't realize how much of that part of myself I had given away in order to get acceptance until I actually came to Pixar and I started to work with women for the first time. So that is actually very interesting. We will put the, the link to Pearl, the short, and to this interview with Kirsten as well. This reminds me uh, of, uh, you know, last year when this pandemic started and we were in lockdown and everything was closed. I decided, okay, what do I do with my free time? Because yeah. it was work and nothing else because you couldn't do anything else. So then I decided, okay, let me explore certain maybe online courses, something that I could do. And then I went through several of the big schools. And then I found myself looking at all this curricula for women leadership programs. Mm -hmm. And what struck me as interesting was that everything was how to navigate the culture that is already in there. So instead of doing a leadership program, just to take leadership skills and to understand how to manage better a team or how to deal with uh, a conflict or how to, you know, coach your team members, et cetera, et cetera. The leadership program for women was how to navigate the culture of the system that is currently in place in organizations. It didn't say anything about my navigating the patriarchy, but basically it was a little bit <laughs> what they were saying. <laughs> yeah, in a way. So I understand that women can feel more at ease to talk about these topics with other women. So, I mean, I feel more comfortable talking to you than with some male colleagues because they are, no, 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 I don't understand it. But at the same time, I think that if we are going to do some kind of leadership program, then it shouldn't be about how to navigate the current structure, but it should be more about 
how do we change this current structure? Because the current structure is not uh, working. Yeah, well, and we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to talk about, like, there are some very significant and tangible benefits to how women stylistically lead. So why are you trying to, like, form us into the model that has existed from the industrial age? Leadership in general needs to morph, and there's probably attributes that are patriarchal in nature and values and beliefs that are beneficial while there are also a more feminine side and, you know, humanistic side from that perspective that when morphed together creates a super leader versus right. Like trying to morph it. Well, I know, you know, from as Pearl in the movie and then Kristen Lester that you talked about with work, sometimes we do, we've experienced being the only woman in a situation. Our, our friend Susan in podcast three talked about being the only as a woman and a person of color. And Mila, I know you've experienced being the, the only in a leadership context. And I've certainly been the only woman in the room as we've been talking about the fact of being the representative you're going to be the woman on this team and you're going to represent and symbolize all that women in leadership have to be carries an additional sense of responsibility. It carries pressure. It can provide anxiety because we know that our actions and mistakes are being looked at as representative of all women could be seen as confirming a stereotype or a prejudgment, right? Well, that woman didn't work out. So put a woman in this role. And so from the women in the workplace report that was conducted by McKinsey and um, leanin.org in 2020, we learned that 20% of women say they were commonly the only person of their gender in the room or one of very few. And the figure is far higher in some sectors such as technology and engineering. And for women of color, that number rose to 45%. And for men, it was just 7%. The study doesn't specify white men versus men of color. So I'm sure there's some differential in there when you look at this specifically for men of color. But you know, we're talking 7% versus 20% and 45%. Those are significant. And we know women are more likely to experience discrimination in the workplace. But the study shows the odds are higher still when women find themselves alone in a group of men. They are far more likely than others to have their judgment questioned than women working in a more balanced environment. 49% of women versus 32% of men talk about having their judgment questioned, often to be mistaken for someone more junior. So 35% of women say that happens to them versus 15% of men. That has most definitely happened to me. I've also had it where I have been with a a male direct report and the person we're talking to is only speaking to him. And I'm like, hi, decision maker here. I look at me. me." And then one of the other aspects they saw was that women tend to be subjected to unprofessional and demeaning remarks, 24% of women versus 14% of men. And if they're treated like this, it's no wonder they get overlooked for promotion because all the the bias and the signals it's all right there in front of you so that's the individual impact but there's research that also shows that women as leaders have a direct positive business impact yeah so continue with the mckinsey's diversity matters report it examined uh, proprietary data uh, sets for 366 public companies across a range of industries in different geographies canada latin america the uk and the united states In this research, they looked at metrics such as financial results, which obviously is, you know, a biggie, and the composition of top management and boards. 
The findings were clear. So the study says that companies in the top quartile for racial and ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry medians. So it's direct correlation, 35% more. Companies in top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry medians. So one is racial diversity, one is gender diversity. It doesn't talk about the intersectionality yeah. of the two. That's what I which, was going to say. If you're doing both, do you get... <laughs> imagine the game. I don't know what the game will be. It, will, it wouldn't be, you know, adding them up, but it's probably a lot higher even. In the UK, greater gender diversity on the senior executive team corresponded to the highest performance uplift in the data set. For every 10% increase in gender diversity, the EBIT rose by 3.5%. So earnings before interest and taxes rose by 3.5%. While certain industries perform better on gender diversity and other industries on ethnic and racial diversity, no industry or company is in the top quartile on both dimensions. Yeah, that's so that why is, I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that is something that I, I think is still something to be done. In a case... Well, we have said before, or we actually are going to talk a little bit more about that later. It is sometimes they see it, oh, we're doing enough because we have a woman or we're doing enough because we have, a, I don't know, a, a, a black person in the board or whatever. Anyway, the unequal performance of companies in the same industry and the same country implies that diversity is a competitive differentiator, shifting market share toward more diverse companies. So that is very concrete. Yeah, I and I I sit here baffled that we had to have research to prove that because it seems obvious yeah. to me. But yeah, <laughs> um, well, and to me, like what you just covered is talking about productivity and profitability, right? So there's research that shows that is positively impacted by having um, gender diversity, racial diversity in your organizations. But it's also been shown that the overall work environment and employee experience benefits from the values and styles of women in leadership. And there's a Forbes article called How Women Leaders Are Building Better Places to Work. And they've curated a bunch of different research and studies, and we'll provide you with the link in the podcast notes. But they share the research that shows how women leaders are leading the way in engaging employees, recruiting and retaining talent, and driving diversity and inclusion. They tend to have greater emphasis on purpose-driven leadership, like connecting people in their roles to their value they provide to the organization. They tend to pay more attention to equity and humanistic benefits like parental leave for both men and women, which would encourage in the home to start shifting some of that time poverty and allowing men the opportunity to have that bonding time with um, their newborn children or newly adopted children and making diversity and inclusion and equity a business priority. Women-led organizations seem to be, by and large, leading the pack on making substantial and meaningful shifts from an employee experience perspective. So that's I mean, come on, the data's there, right? The data's yeah, and the, been there. <laughs> it's been there for a while. That's what it is. I mean, it's been there for a while. So we are emphasizing it now in this podcast, but it had been there for a long time. And yeah, that's why it's 2021 and we're still talking about this. Hmm. That needs a soundtrack anyways. All right. Well, Mila, I think it's time for us to go to our Did You Know segment. And... 
For our Did You Know segment, we, Mila, this article in leanin.org about women in the workplace, and it's a 2019 study, an article by Shelly Zalis. And Shelly, I'm sorry if I just killed your name, from Forbes Women. And it talks about, we learned that the biggest obstacle keeping women from advancing in their careers is what is called the broken rung. Or what I actually, I didn't, I'd never heard of this broken rung term. I always, in from an HR perspective, I called it the career chasm, but it's the first step up from entry level position to manager. And that initial missed promotion winds up holding women back for the rest of their careers. So it's, it's a blind spot for the business world is what this study is saying. And it typically concentrates more on pipeline than progression. A lot of organizations are focused on promoting women at the top of the pipeline because for years we've talked about the glass ceiling, but mm-hmm. there's this invisible barrier that is earlier in that pipeline that is setting people or women back and people of color back um, earlier in their careers, which is preventing them from achieving those most senior ranks or greatly slowing it down. Actually, we need to go look and see if there's research on like how long it takes a woman to get from point A to point B versus a man to get from point A to point B. I'd be intrigued to yeah. know like that time frame. Maybe, but so anyways, here's some facts. Women are less likely to be hired and promoted to manager. So for every 100 men promoted and hired to manager, only 72 women are promoted and hired. Men hold 62% of manager level positions while women only hold just 38%. The number of women decreases at every subsequent level. Mm-hmm. One third of the companies set gender representation targets for first level manager roles compared to 41% for senior levels of management. And then we can add 1 million more women to management in corporate America over the next five years if women are hired and promoted to manager at the same rates as men. So when you brought this article up, I told you that I was really passionate about this topic because this is one of the main things that I end up consulting organizations that I work with on. Um, especially around pipelines and when they're trying to shift the diverse makeup of their organization, because you have to look for those moments in your career paths of where there is this broken rung or career chasms. And I kind of explained that as you can't get there from here because you can't get the skills in your current job to have mm-hmm. them. And we know that women are far more literal about job posting. So if it says yeah. you need to have leadership experience and we don't have leadership experience, we are less likely to apply for it. So some of that plays out, but even though, even if we are capable, even if we are capable, but the yeah. other thing is I will see if you could have two resumes sitting in front of you. One is a man, one is a woman, neither of them have had leadership experience. And I would tell you that more times than not, they're going to look at the, they're going to take the leap on the the resume for the man versus the woman. And so, you know, what are you doing to generate those pipelines? Because you're gonna constantly have to go external in your senior roles if you aren't developing in your more junior roles. And so you can keep me going for a long time on this topic, but but I don't know how many of you have heard of this term, the, what is this again? The broken rung. Had you heard of it, Mila, before you read this article? No, no. And I thought, okay, is it maybe an expression? Is it an an American thing? I never heard of it. No, but it is is very logical what it says. So, I mean, it's it's something that you see when, when you look at the statistics that is, we can add 1 million more women to management over the next five years if women are hired and promoted to manager now at the same rate as men. 
is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculously significant, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so we are going to have all these links to these articles on the podcast notes, but we are going to move now to um, the third part of our podcast, Amy, is let's talk about what do we do, right? We are talking about, we're learning all these things that are still happening and all these numbers and all the research that says that gender diversity and actually also racial diversity is important to have more productive organizations, but what do we do? So what is there to do to advance women in the workplace and to really make an impact? Some things that, that we see that are coming from those, those, these studies are obvious. So basically one thing is don't stick to one. So we know we have all these one, uh, only one woman or one woman on the board, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, of course, it's better to have one woman on a top leadership position than to have none. However, studies show that one in five women that are in long leadership positions are subject to microaggressions and are twice as likely as women overall to be asked to prove their competence more than three times as likely to be mistaken for someone more junior, as uh, Katie mentioned before, and about twice as likely to be subjected to demeaning remarks. So that's something that the lonesome woman position gives you. And also, are you going to take notes? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it's your turn to take notes. I'll yeah, take them, but it's my turn. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I sometimes, now that you say that, I just think about, you know, if I'm going to, like, if I'm going to stand up and get a coffee for myself, I will offer the person that is next to me a coffee. But when I'm in a room that is full of men, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, initially I did, but now, no, now it's okay. Now the guys stand up and then they say, Mila, you want a coffee? Yes, thank you. But if, because if I'm the only one in the room, I don't want to be seen as I'm the one that is doing the classical, uh, I'm doing quotes on quotes people when I, when I talk about <laughs> classical gender roles. But anyway, so another thing that comes from these studies that we could do is that companies should switch from focusing on implementing programs to shifting the mindsets. Because obviously, if you are just ticking the box, as Katie said before, then that is not really going to implement some uh, real changes. So data from the Women in Equity study shows that even though organizations are instituting more initiatives to improve gender equity and inclusion, like for example, gender blind job screenings or parental leave for women and men, more programs haven't necessarily translated to better outcomes because the organization may be using a lot of these tools, but they are not creating the mindsets and behaviors that create a welcoming, inclusive corporate culture. I call this spray and pray. When I talk to clients who are doing this, I'm like, you're just spraying and praying. You're putting as much stuff out there and you're hoping something sticks as yeah. opposed to looking at it from a whole systems perspective and looking at all the different things that can influence this. And this, by the way, is not just your HR practices. It's who you choose as vendors. It's how you um, create relationships with organizations that you partner with. It's, um, it's, it's how you purchase that. Like it's everywhere in your organization. There's nothing worse than we're trying to make a change here, but you work with a partner that has a, just a horrible environment and how they treat women and the women in your organization are subjected to that on a regular basis, right? Like it just, it doesn't compute anyways. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, that's okay. That's okay. The other thing is don't take a one and done approach. So we talked a little bit about this already. So uh, 
companies and individuals are accepting, oh, this is the best that we can do attitude, or we do these programs already and it's good enough, or I'm again discrimination, but there's nothing that you can do. No, you can do a lot of things. You can speak up, you can point things, you can also uh, part of the change and be inclusive and be open. And by um, the way, the other, having yeah. an employee resource group for women, and that's the only thing you've done, isn't going to change anything. No. I'm not saying don't do it, right? Like women should have a place and a space to come together to talk about that. But to what you just said, Mila, speak up when you see something that isn't right. Yeah. Like that has a bigger effect than allowing women to have an hour every month to come together and talk to each other. Yeah, because they already do it anyway. They yeah. do it around the coffee machine. We find a way. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Another one is playing the long game. So all these changes and programs that are going to be there, they require time to uh, come to fruition. And as we see, because of all the research that we just talked about, but you have to stay and continue and stay the path and continue with implementation and shifting mindsets. And associated with that is to have the courage as a leadership team and as an organization to embrace the discomfort. As per this study, because obviously this implies change and change is not easy for people. So leader organizations have to learn to deal with the discomfort to implement those changes. And lastly, but certainly not uh, less important is that to realize us as women, that we have power. We can use our voice to support organizations that have equality and inclusion into their DNA. Companies that actually talk about it, promote it, and you can see it in their values. We also can vote in people. So we can vote into the institutions. Some people that will represent our interests vote out those that want. We can choose where do we spend our money? What companies do we partner with? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We um, have an example when Katie and I had been started to look into partners and vendors and software um, a service platforms to use with. We look at an organization for newsletter and mailing list, and we realize it, com- it came an article and it was an old article about some practices that were not very good around women rights and women topics within this company, and we decided to go elsewhere. And we took our business elsewhere, even though probably we made it a little bit more difficult for ourselves because the company that we're talking about is kind of the standard and the more compatible one in the market. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. It was important. It's worth, to your point, it was worth, it was worth discomfort in order to, to take a stand. All right. Well, we are coming to, again, for those of you that have been listening, you know, Mila and I love the last segment of the day that we do, which is called, It Doesn't All Suck. It doesn't. And for this, we're going to recognize some big steps that some philanthropists did, which recently awarded $40 million to help advance gender equity. The Equality Can't Wait Challenge rewarded initiatives focused on individual empowerment and broad scale policy change. This was a groundbreaking competition for gender equality concluded with $40 million awarded to four initiatives that advance the influence of women across the United States. And I actually watched the video where they were letting these um, leaders of these four organizations. It was pretty awesome to just all of a sudden be told you just got $10 million to make what you're to work on happening. Pretty awesome. 
So the challenge was hosted by Pivotal Ventures, which is the investment company of Melinda French Gate, and had support from Mackenzie Scott and Dan Jewett and Charles and Lynn Schusterman Family Philanthropies. They gave $10 million to each of the four winners, as we mentioned. One is a collaboration between New Mexico Community Capital and Native Women Lead. The next is Girls Inc.'s Project Accelerate, the Ada Developers Academy, and a coalition of partners formed by the National Domestic Workers Alliance and Caring Across Generations. The awardees were selected from a pool of more than 550 applications, which I just want to pause there. Like that's 550 organizations that are trying to make an impact on this space. And for example, mm-hmm. we are too, and we didn't even apply. So like, think of all the people that are out there trying to do something about this. Anyways, historically less than 2% of philanthropic giving has gone to initiatives specifically geared toward women and girls. So this is a, a shift to try and make a change across that. But we mentioned who the winners are. But for example, New Mexico Community Capital is looking to provide at least 3,000 female Native American entrepreneurs across a wide range of sectors. So including floral design and food distribution, they want to help these um, entrepreneurs get networking events, professional training, a retreat space, and and that type of stuff to invest in them. Girls Inc. serves over 5,000 low-income girls and girls of color. Roughly 80% of its beneficiaries are black and brown girls. And 60% come from families that are earning below $30,000 annually. Ada Developers Academy's key offering is an 11-month software development program that is intended to equip women, non-binary people, LGBTQ, and people of color with skills to enter the tech industry. And they'll be reaching about 3,000 people. And the National Domestic Workers Alliance, its goal is to mobilize grassroots advocacy for childcare and paid family leave. Four really fantastic, awesome endeavors. So awesome. That is awesome. It's great. Yeah, it's great that that these that these award is coming to initiatives around the women and girls because the article says it's two percent of philanthropic giving has gone only to uh, initiatives around women and girls. So it's great to see that. So we are actually done for today. It has been a great podcast, I think, a great episode talking about women and leadership and what are the obstacles on the way for women to advance in their uh, careers and achievements and also how business are not seeing the benefits of having women in leadership positions. So thank you for joining us today. But before we let you go, you might have thought you were getting off easy without our episodic ask. But (laughs) for those of you that have listened, you know that each episode, Mila and I put forward an ask, which is a challenge we put out to our community to try and make some change, big or small. And we all have a way to impact things. So today's challenge is going back to something Neela talked about in, in the, what can we do about this section? And so what we want you to do is think about the companies and organizations that you most often spend money with. We have a lot of power in our wallets and I think we mm-hmm. often forget about this. So yes. our challenge is go to those company websites, look at their board, look at their senior leadership team, how much gender diversity is on there. How many people of color? If what you see does not align with what your expectations are, consider doing the following. First and foremost, spend your money somewhere else. Like our example, go find somebody else who provides that service or that product. 
send a letter or an email concerning and expressing your concern about the lack of diversity in their senior roles. We as consumers have much more influence than we give ourselves credit for. We have the ability to send a message to organizations. So I'm giving you a wallet challenge. That's our ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then for our listeners at home, thank you for tuning in. Visit our social media platforms at House of Appies or to our website, www.houseofappies.com to let us know what you think about these topics and for more information on women interest stories. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Next time we'll be talking about the F word. The F word of feminism. That will be an interesting one. So tune in, but for now, good morning from Seattle. And good evening from Amsterdam. Until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>